Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, listeners. So it's the 17th of October. We're heading down the barrel of the end of 2019. Um, You're listening to Carly and Grace this morning, Thursday breakfast on 8.55am. How are you, Grace? Very excited. Very excited about the end of the year and holidays Mm. and kind of want it to be summer and I'm annoyed that it's really cold this morning. (laughs) Yeah, the weather has been a bit up and down. Um, I myself am sick this week, so apologies um, to any listeners out there um, because, yeah, I'll probably have a few coughing fits this morning. Um, but what have we got on the show this morning, Grace? Um, so first we're going to talk to Kate with the headlines, and then we're going to talk to David Barnon, who's from the Equity Generation Lawyers, and he's running the first case in the world about um, against a super fund for not taking climate change risk, risk into account. Mm. And then we're going to be speaking with Anne-Marie Tawihu, um, and she's an editor of uh, an anthology called Solid Air, Australian Spoken Word Poetry, um, and she's actually going to be speaking at the Wheeler Centre next Wednesday, the 23rd of October. Cool. Um, and then we're going to be speaking with Paul Gorey about Young Mob Questioning Treaty, which is a documentary film that he worked on, and it's going to be featuring at Imagine Native at fi- the Film Festival in Toronto. So it's very exciting for Paul. Um, and then we're going to be speaking with Pookie and Jonathan, who are both performing at Emerge in Yarra. And then we're going to be talking to Andy Payne, um, who's talking about the proposed laws in Queensland that are going to out- outlaw lock-on devices. So that's um, a thing that mostly used environmental protests, and I guess talking about Adani in Queensland and stuff as well. Mm. And they're pretty intense laws, so I'm really excited to be talking to him about what actually is going on and how we can try and stop that going through Parliament. Mm. I think now we'll just head to some community service announcements and then get Kate on the line for the news. Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information, visit withrespect.org.au or call 1800 542 847. With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help, call 000. A 3CR support.
From October the 28th to the 31st, some of the worst climate criminals will be gathering for the International Mining Conference, IMARC, at the Melbourne Convention Centre. Blockade IMARC is an activist alliance committed to putting a stop to the mass destruction caused by extractive industries across the globe and the harm they cause to communities and ecosystems. We need your help to be part of this blockade. Find out how at blockadeimark.com or check out our Facebook page, Blockade IMARC, a 3CR supporter. And now we're going to hear from Kate Kelly. Good morning, Kate. How are you going? Good morning. I'm really good. <laughs> That's good. What have you got for us this morning? Okay. So first up in the dead headlines, I have the threat from extreme right-wing terrorism in Australia has increased in recent years and will remain an enduring threat, according to Australia's spy agency. The Australian Security and Intelligence Organisation, otherwise known as ASIO, issued the warning in its latest annual report, adding that extreme right-wing groups in Australia are more cohesive and organised than they have been in previous years. The comments sort of amp up the agency's concern about right-wing extremist terrorism. After ASIO boss Duncan Lewis told Senate, Senate estimates in April it was important, it was an important issue, but that the Christchurch massacre had not changed the agency's assessment afterwards. The ASIO report says the national terrorism threat remained at probable. A neo-Nazi concert planned for a secret Melbourne location, um, which was meant to go over last weekend, appears not to have actually gone ahead in what is being hailed as a victory by organisers behind the public campaign to shut it down. Victoria Police, which had been monitoring the plans, confirmed on Wednesday they had, knowledge or, had no knowledge or information to suggest that the event actually did go ahead. It was being organised by both Blood and Honour and the Hammerskins, which have been linked to extreme violence around the world and are banned in several countries. The reason behind why the annual event didn't go ahead remain unclear. It comes on the back of a weeks-long campaign by anti-discrimination groups, trades hall and politicians to have, it, to have to stop the event before a single note was even played. To help block future neo-Nazis gatherings, the Andrews government has promised a new submission to the parliamentary inquiry into anti-vilification protections and to examine strengthening the Racial and Religious Tolerance Act. And now Donald Trump has been accused of undermining attempts to broker a ceasefire in Syria by claiming the Kurds are safer than Turkey's military incursion. In his latest remarks on the fighting, the U.S. president again wiped his hands of responsibility, saying Turkey's assault had nothing to do with us. He also also falsely claimed that the Kurds are much safer now and stated that America's former allies who fought alongside U.S. troops were not angels. Mr. Trump's decision to pull troops from Syria triggered Turkey's moves against its southern neighbor in its bid to eradicate what they perceive as Kurdish terrorists. Vice President Mike Pence and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo are expected to meet with the President of Turkey for emergency talks amid the assault on northern Syria. And that's all the headlines you need to know this Thursday. Thanks so much, Kate. Thanks. Thanks, Kate. Have a good show. Bye. 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 
Um, and now I think that we might head to a track. Um, so this track is off The Return, Sam the Great's new album, and this one's called Heaven. our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. And that track that we just played was Heaven uh, by Sampa the Great featuring Hussein. She just dropped a new album a little while ago, which is all as good as that track. Really, <laughs> I listen to it all the time. It's amazing. Um, up next, we're going to hear from 
Dave, who's from the Equity Generation Lawyers and is running the first ever case against a superannuation fund. Good morning, Dave. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, so can you start by explaining like what this case is and how it came about? Yeah, sure. So this is a case by a member of a superannuation fund. So someone like you and me, um, a member is someone who receives money um, from their employer and that gets gets put into a superannuation fund. So this case deals with climate change risks and it's the first case in the world which is saying that a trustee, the people in control of this pot of money, have obligations to think about climate change when they invest other people's cash. Mm -hmm. So can you maybe explain what the link between climate change and super funds are? Yeah, sure. So super funds control a lot of money. They control around a quarter of the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, The amount in total is around $2.7 trillion. So it's, it's a lot of money. They have the ability to invest in assets and investments and companies that do good things for the climate and might do bad things for the climate. What this case is seeking, though, is to say, well, in 20, 30, 40 years, when um, younger people can access their superannuation, the world's going to look like a different place. So they need to start thinking about how to invest right now for for those changes. And, and those changes could be how how society changes and, and how, how politics and how the rules change to, to limit carbon emissions. So so it's, it's a really important way to um, for, for young people, especially like our client Mark, who's 24, um, he's not going to get his superannuation until 2055. He wants to know that he's being looked after. And so it's a very powerful way to, um, to, to approach a fund and, and to say, hey, look, how are you investing my money? Um, so I guess what is your client, like what is he after? What will happen if he wins this case? So he's not alleging that he's suffered any loss, but what he is after in, in the technical legal terms is an injunction. That's to, to be able to force the trustee to, to think about climate change and to invest in his best interests, as well as a declaration from the court that they might have breached the law. And so, so the law says the trustee needs to act in his best interests. They're normally his best financial interests. And the trustee also has to act with a level of care and skill that um, you know to invest his money. So, so he's after a declaration and an injunction. So, what does that mean? In what will that mean in terms of super funds being out of a fund like coal or other kind of you know industries that are that are contributing to climate change? Yeah, look, it's really important. The first step that a trustee, so, so these are the people that control the money, the first step that they need to do is to figure out what the risks are. So once they understand how climate change can impact their investments and, you know, one of the, the big things that, that people are talking about in the finance industry is how the world is going to change to be able to limit climate change to, to under two degrees. Um, so, so once they understand that, they should be able to understand how their investments might be impacted. So 
So the idea is to to have the trustee to get as much information as they can about climate change to, to understand the, the risks and to understand where the world is heading. And there's some really good indications from, from regulators in Australia and around the world that that these funds should be looking at limiting, you know, a, a world that limits climate change to less than two degrees. So, in other words, a world that complies with the goals of the Paris Agreement. And, um, and you know, it's, it's a step for these massive funds to, to think about potentially how to get out of those investments. So is this case about all super funds or is it one in particular? So it's just one fund. Um, it's a big fund. It's REST, the, uh, the Retail Employees Superannuation Trust. It has about $57 billion under management. It's, it's one of the top 10 funds in Australia, it's, um, but it's one of the top funds by the number of people. So around 2 million people are members of this fund. And so they're, they're folks that might start out working in, in Woolworths, or Coles or, or supermarkets or other retail shops, and they'll often keep um, keep being a member of that fund as they um, as, as they keep working in those places, or maybe go on to other, to, to do other things. So it's against one fund. However, it uses laws that apply to all super funds in Australia, and so these are these are often called fiduciary duties. They're they're what their duties that people in power, so these trustees that control money, owe to other people, um, you know, like, like our client Mark, who are beneficiaries. So, so, so these it should have a an application Australia wide. These obligations exist throughout the world as well. So, for for pension funds in Europe and North America and and in other countries. Um, as, as well as potentially sovereign wealth funds. So these are, these are, these are massive investment vehicles which, you know, we're talking amazing amounts of money. This is, you know, some people think US $40 trillion that are held in these funds and so they do have similar obligations. So it has the potential to get a lot of these funds to start thinking about climate change and we're aware that many of them aren't. Mm. Dave, it's Carly here. So whilst this is the first case against a superannuation fund in Australia for not taking climate risk into account, um, is there legal action being taken internationally? There's certainly a a wave of climate litigation. Um, This is the only action we're aware of that's that's in court against a pension fund or a superannuation fund on, on these Particular risks, so these are these are broad climate risks around transition and um, and physical risks. What we see in Australia, but also overseas, is um, is a growth in litigation against companies. Um, you know, be it um, by their investors for, for not doing the right thing, and, and you also see a, a growth in investor resolutions, which which put forward proposals at annual general meetings for, for the company to change. You see a growth in those. Um, and so these are all all a part of a movement by, by investors, but also people who might be impacted by 
you know, climate change risks around the world. Um, you, you do see this, this growth in litigation, but this, this particular action is, is unique. You've touched on it a little bit, but can you maybe say a bit more about the client in the case and how he managed to get this case up? Yeah, so one of the difficult things about superannuation funds in Australia is access to information. So what they do is very important. People might end up, when they retire, as having the the biggest asset, the, the biggest you know, pot of money that they own in their superannuation fund. And it's really difficult for people to know how that fund is being invested and, and how their money is being managed. So our client initially went to the fund, sent them an email and said, how are you managing my money? Are you, are you taking climate change risks into account? Are you doing what? the regulator says you should do in terms of looking at a at the Paris Agreement and, a, and investments in a two-degree world. And he simply didn't get a good enough answer. So he was able to take them to court because there's some reasonably strong laws around access to information. And typically, the funds just brush people off. You know, they, they, don't, they don't tell them a lot. There's not a lot of disclosure. So... So this is one, you know, he was 24 when he started to communicate to the fund um, and get interested in superannuation, and he found out more about how superannuation works through an organisation called Market Forces. So they're, they're based here in Melbourne, and they're, they've got a website and a lot of information that tells people um, how how superannuation works, and it gives them an opportunity to to talk to their funds and, and request information. So it's a really, really valuable resource. And and so it all started because of a lack of information. There was no information that this particular fund had a climate change policy or was doing anything about it. Cool. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you want to say about this case? Well, it's currently scheduled to go back before the court in mid-November and we hope to get a trial date and the court will look at um, a few other procedural aspects like us getting documents from um, from REST but it's so, so it's in progress um, it's it's a case where people should be watching this space and and people you know every working person with superannuation should be should be interested in it and should um, you know, look to their own fund to figure out what they're doing on climate change. Cool. Thanks so much for your time this morning. We will definitely um, keep our listeners updated as to what happens further down the line. Thanks so much. Lovely to chat. Bye. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japarung Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japarung country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. 
The campaign to protect country is led by Japarang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japarang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. We were just talking to David Barden from Equity Generation Lawyers about the first ever case that's um, going through court taking a super fund um, for not taking climate change risk into account. And now we're going to play a track by Genesis Obusu, and this one is called Good Times. And that track there was Good Times by Genesis Owusu. And now on the line, we have Anne-Marie Tafu, um, who is one of the editors of Solid Air, Australian and New Zealand spoken word. Good morning, Anne-Marie. Good morning. How are you going? Great. 
Um, and so, could you please start by giving an overview of this anthology for listeners? Um, so if they had to pick up a copy, what can they expect? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess what they can expect is something that they've never seen before. Solid Air is um, a bit of a first. There's never been this kind of anthology um, attempted before or done before. So um, David Stavanger, my co-editor, and I have kind of, I don't know, harvested, gathered um, 120 voices from both Australia and Aotearoa and they um, span from hip-hop to rap to uh, lyric to um, comedic pieces, theatre-based pieces and spoken word pieces, of course. Um, so there's 120 voices in there that um, really represent the last 10 years of spoken word in um, in our two, two countries. Mm. And in the introduction to the book, you speak about mm. spoken word becoming a central part, uh, if not the beating heart of contemporary Australia and New Zealand poetry. Exactly. Um, yeah. So can you actually tell us a bit about the history of slam poetry and its emergence in Southern Oceania? Um, so coming out of the Naokin Poetry Cafe in Chicago, um, spoken word made its way over to Australia um, and many venues and I guess event coordinators and people like that took uh, spoken word in their own hands and um, and really opened the doors and for performance artists and provided platforms for artists to share their voice so um, in terms of spoken word the actual form yeah, for me it actually is an ancient tradition, so it's a it's an oral indigenous tradition that's been around for millennia. Um it's it's not a a new form per se, but in terms of Western access to it, it, it did certainly come out of um that Chicago poetic scene mm-hmm. and then it's made its way over to Australia and New Zealand. Um but I know that my ancestors have been you know, speaking on the marae yeah. for um, many hundreds of years. And in Australia, Indigenous culture, um, oral traditions and spoken word tradition is is part of culture. So um, the history of it, it, it really does depend on your lens and perspective. From a publishing perspective, though, um, this is the first time spoken word has ever been put in, in a publication. Yeah. Yeah, it's an incredible read, and you've just managed to um, publish so many artists. Um, it's quite profound. And you mentioned um, that you know a lot of First Nations cultures already um, have been telling poems and stories um, for millennia. Um, but there are so many contributions from First Nations artists in this anthology. Is that something that you particularly sought out? Definitely, yeah. That was actually part of my um, mandate for the <laughs> process. Um, it, I don't sort of take on many projects without having that sort of mandate of creating a platform for voices who are um, not not usually um, prioritised. Mm-hmm. So Indigenous voices, Pacifica voices, Torres Strait Islander voices, refugee voices, LGBTIQ voices, voices who we don't usually hear from, I try to centre. So yes, definitely that was... Um, a very, very conscious decision. Um, so 
it was it came from the heart and the head that decision. Not only did I want that um, as a socially conscious decision to make, but I also genuinely love hearing our Indigenous voices. So um, there's a definite flow in their words on the page. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was reading it, I just managed to read so many poems in such a short period of time, I think, because um, it oh, had been fun. translated from spoken word like onto the page, so everything um, was flowing just incredibly. <laughs> um, oh, and I actually wanted so to cool. ask about that, about... Um, actually, yeah, translating spoken word into that written form. Were there any challenges that you found? For us, for David and I, no, but for the publisher, yes. <laughs> so um, it's, it's really that um, how can we put this circle into a square space mm. and, and where are the points of compromise? So um, we fought pretty hard for the circle to stay a circle and for the square to change into a circle mm. um, to enable the voice of the poet or the spoken word artist or whoever it was for the authenticity of the voice to be um, represented on the page. Have you ever dealt with a publisher? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't either and... Um, Dave had so University of Queensland publishers actually were really great to um, work with. They were um, really uh, respected our perspectives as well as the artists. So it was lot. There were lots and lots of um, rigorous conversations had, and um, yeah, I think it comes again back to that sense of um, the mandate of why do we take on these projects and staying true to why you're doing these things in the first place. So there's no point in, for example, um, um, just looking at someone like um, Queen, Queen Eads' piece, what's it, what it's really like to grow up with lesbians in the 70s and 80s. And Queen's piece is um, represented horizontally, which Queen, mm. I'm, I'm pretty sure, wanted. Mm. And in conversations, that's how they articulated. They wanted the space. So talking to the publisher about putting work horizontally rather than vertically, um, for us that might seem something very simple, but for a publisher that operates in a really traditional um, mm. space where text is vertical, that can be um, a bit of a shock. <laughs> Yeah, but a great experience for a reader. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's so cool. Did you have a favourite um, so far? I'm not sure about a favourite, but I really enjoyed how not every story was, um, I guess, on the same theme. So a few of the yeah. poems are very like deep um, in culture yeah. and really um, trying to explore yeah, people's yeah. selves. And then a few of them were just um, about, you know, um, everyday kind of activities, very playful. Yeah. And um, quite domestic in some sense. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. But we wanted to, um, and that's exactly what spoken word is, isn't it? Is there's that texture there. There's, um, I'm just like looking at um, Evelyn Aralewin's piece, oh, Burn yes. Your Own Gully. Yes. <sighs> Amazing piece. And, and I've just flicked over um, on page 91 and here's Hadley with Brookside Bramble. I mean, what 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 is that piece about? But how great is that piece? There's no way to necessarily say, oh, yeah, Brooks, 
Westside Bramble is an example um, of the exploration of getting from A to B. It's it's a playful, um, metaphorical piece that really needs to be performed. Mm. And so that's what we want. We want people to open the book and um, feel the words in the mouth, really use um, solid errors. I don't know, like a, a bit of a musical score. Let your mouth be the instrument and have a play. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed um, Maury Wiseman, uh, the piece Maury Wiseman by Ryan Clapman. That was, yes. Yeah. Yes. Incredible. Ah, uh, mm. yes. Nice one. That's good to hear. I love hearing that. Were there any Maori voices that you liked at all? Um, I just can't think off the top of my head. <laughs> but I did. I did remember reading the um, tram lines, and that was one of the pieces that was horizontally. Um, oh, beautiful! Displayed. Oh, nice one. <laughs> um, and had you seen a lot of these poets perform prior to actually compiling this anthology? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So um, before this project, um, David and I co-edited. Co- co-edited, I mean co-editing world, co-directed the Queensland Poetry Festival, which is a poetry festival held up um, in Brisbane annually. So we, um, over the course of three years, um, really got to know hundreds of poets and quite a few of those poets are represented within Solidaire. Um, but there are certainly some that aren't. I was really pleased to hear Elfres the Lion last week. It was really cool to hear him represented. His works in Solidaire. Um, so, for example, we hadn't seen him perform. I hadn't seen him perform live before. I'm not sure if David had. But um, I didn't know him, but I know I love his work. Mm. And so, um, in short, his work was in the book. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So for listeners, we actually interviewed Alfresh the Lion last week on the show, uh, and he performed last weekend in Melbourne. But yeah, hopefully he'll come back here soon. <laughs> He's so great. Yeah, yeah, incredible artist. Yeah. Um, and how can people get a copy of Solid Air? Um, well, I've got a box here at my desk. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if the coffee's on, you can come on over. Um, so I guess probably the easiest way, there are two ways. Um, so just jump online to um, Booktopia. I think people can order books online. Mm. But I'd encourage people to go to their, their favourite bookstores. Um, I know that Hairs and Hyena have a copy. And speaking of which, we would really love for people to come to the, um, the Wheeler Centre Yes. The Wheeler Centre yes. event um, next Wednesday. Hairs and Hyena will be um, the bookstore there, and they'll have copies there. So that'll be an amazing event, actually. Yeah, incredible. Um, and can we expect um, more anthologies um, edited by yourself about yeah poetry? Uh, I'm actually turning. Um, the page over so that I'm I'm actually writing more myself and I know mm. that David's about to put his own work out. So personally, I don't know that there'll be more um, books being edited around spoken word by us individually. But gee, I really hope this cracks something open and um, yeah, 
if, if people want to have um, a conversation about that, especially if they're in Melbourne, come to the Wheeler Centre event and we, we will, we'd love to talk with you about the process and, and give you heads up about, um, you know, the tips and the, definitely the peaks and troughs of the whole process, which um, has been sort of an eight, eight year process developing this book and, and from beginning to end. Wow, so, um, eight years. Yeah. Yeah, and and um, you know, and then there's the funding aspects and contracts, and so there's lots and lots of really dry, mundane stuff that's got to be done. There are definitely spreadsheets involved. But there's a lot of yeah, but there's a lot of love and there's a lot of joy. And like you said earlier, do we know many of the artists? Connecting with the artists was the greatest joy about this, and and you know, inviting someone that's never been published before. Mm. Asking them to be involved in solid air has been those moments have been the real joy. Yeah, but yeah, I really would love for people to come down to the Wheeler Centre next Wednesday, the twenty third. It's a free event, and it starts at six o'clock. Yeah, incredible. Well, thank you so much, Anne Marie, for um, editing Solid Air because yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I love hip hop and a lot of my favourite rappers are from Chicago. And um, <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> um, and, and that means a lot. Yeah, and it's really exciting um, to see all of these yeah, up and coming um, spoken word poets um, being Thank you. Yeah, well, compiled together in a beautiful anthology. So thanks for joining us on 3CR this morning. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Been great talking. <laughs> And that was Anne-Marie Tafu, who edited uh, Solid Air, Australian and New Zealand Spoken Word. And now I think we're going to head to a track by Dreaming Now, um, who I would say are incredible wordsmiths. And this track is called Australia Does Not Exist. Straight up illegitimate Australia does not 
Those who take that land, take it for our earth. Those who take a stand, we'll nail before the throne, nail before the crown. Hands on the ground, then we'll take all the kids. Hush, don't make a sound, nothing but savages. We'll show them how they're supposed to live, and if they don't assimilate, I guess we'll have to demonstrate our superiority in every single way. And remind them how we've conquered them every single day. And what better way to do this than to give this land a name? Australia, yeah, the great land that was claimed. Uh. Man, it ain't gonna work. Watch us grow like flowers if we come from the dirt. The hurt runs deep. Our people came just to reframe the pictures of the past. So my people know where we came from. We've been here all along. See, Australia don't exist. Just another damn myth. Australia does not exist. What they be selling is myth. Australia does not exist. But they keep on trying to tell you. track there was Australia Does Not Exist by Dreaming Now, featuring Pataphysics, Philly, Adrian Eagle. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely love that track. And now on the line, we're actually joined by the current drummer of Dreaming Now, Paul Gorry. Welcome, Paul. Hey, how's it going? What's happening? <laughs> um, Paul, for listeners, can you please just start by um, yeah, introducing yourself, who your mob is? Your country yeah, is. Um, I'd love to. So, my name's Paul. I'm a Ganakanai and Yorior man, and currently based here on the lands of Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Shout out to your mob. And, um, <laughs> and yeah, I um, I guess, as you heard, I, I play drums for Dreaming Now, but also um, I do a variety of other things as well. And um, yeah, I'm Heath Worker and emerging filmmaker and um, a DJ. Uh, DJ, all that kind of stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, producer, you're also making some producer, tracks. Producer, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But this morning, yeah, we really wanted to talk to you about uh, the documentary that you were a part of making, Young Mob Questioning Treaty, and that is now featuring at Imagine Native, the film festival in Toronto. Incredible. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, it's actually in a couple of days too. So um, uh, I'm really excited about it. I worked on it with uh, my cousin Tony, that is Williams, um, who um, some people might know as well. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Wasn't it? Mm. Um, work on this documentary with NITV and Film Victoria. Um, and it was able to get it broadcasted on NITV, firstly, but then we entered it into Imaginative, which is in Toronto, Canada. And um, yeah, we're heading over in like three or four days. Wow, um, incredible. And yeah, were you approached cool. to create this documentary or was this something that you and Tarnine had thought about before and really wanted to um, ask young people um, about treaty? So um, we, yeah, we were kind of approached um, by, there was an initiative by NITV um, partnering with Film Victoria and it was, the, it was part of the treaty doco series. other people that worked on a documentary as well um, and there was, um, it was like kind of like because the discussions around treaty have been growing in Victoria they wanted to shine light on that conversation by um, creating a documentary series and um, so last year around this time last year we started preparing to make the documentaries, um, and um, yeah, so we applied and we were approached by people, but yeah, some people wanted us to do it, and yeah, ever since um, last year we've been working on it, and then wrapped up everything around April earlier this year, yeah. Mm. And prior to making the documentary, did you already have a bit of a vision about how it would um, come together, or did you have to actually talk to a lot of young mob before um, creating the well, film? Well, yeah, so like Tony and myself have like thought about it in the past, and also, time, like, I can't speak for Tony, but um, yeah, like, I've always been part of these conversations, and I've also um, been interested in film as a, a medium um, expressing story and um, also, like, um, telling our stories as Aboriginal people. So when we did make it, we um, we actually had a different concept in, in mind at first, um, which was to talk to some different public figureheads that were um, Aboriginal, but then we realised that young blackfellas are the voices that need to be heard. Um, and because we're not normally part of these conversations, Hmm. Um, so we decided that we'd interview three uh, young Aboriginal people um, from different um, like areas of living. Um, so one living in the city, and two living um, on one on the west and one on the east. So we, yeah, we thought it would be a good opportunity to have a conversation, especially these are people that have been part of the treaty conversation 
absolutely, because, yeah, young mum need to be heard and um, a lot of the times just aren't given that opportunity to actually talk about these issues. Yeah, exactly, and we have um, we actually do have opinions on the matter because it does affect us because we're going to be the ones inheriting these policies that do govern how we can communicate with each other in the future. Um, and, yeah, we thought it would... Um, with people who we talk to, um, that they're the ones that... Uh, And how did this documentary get picked to feature an Imagine Natives? Yeah, so um, we they entered four. So there's a it's a four part documentary series. Um, two of us got selected. So um, yeah, we uh, entered it in. Our, our like producer entered it in, and then we just found out. And it was yeah, it's been a wild ride since. And now we're now we're heading over, which is pretty cool. And it's going to be really um, exciting to meet other filmmakers that are First Nations globally as well. Mm, absolutely. And have you been over to Toronto before? I have not been there, no. So it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm really, yeah, really excited about it. Because um, mm, I was actually yeah. over at the Toronto International Film Festival, would be. Oh, like three or four years ago now. Um, I remember that's when that movie, This Changes Everything, came out. And um, yeah, it was really, yeah, it was very glamorous, actually. There were red carpets everywhere. I'm like, oh, this doesn't happen anywhere in so called Australia. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Yeah, here it's like a really um, prestigious, imaginative film festival as well. Like, it's what other Aboriginal filmmakers are saying. Like, it's like, yeah, red carpets and all, like, nice film theatres and stuff like that. Like, mm. it's like, they really put a lot of effort in. I think Toronto is, like, like a hub of film. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's really exciting. And, um, it's going to be a busy week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so yeah. you leave in a couple of days, and I know that there was a, a crowd raiser. Um, do you want to tell us yeah. a bit about that? Yeah, so we were trying to fund our, um, our trip a bit more so that we could go over there and ensure that we are um, cost-free of spending, because um, there's like you know uh, existing costs when we live here from for you know uh, a lot of things. But while we were there, we were like hoping to not spend any money. Um, so yeah, we'll, it's it's on GoFundMe. Um, mm. if, you're, if you're still interested in um, supporting, it's called Tarnine and Paul. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> Tarnine and Paul get to um, Toronto, Canada or something like that. Mm. Get to Imaginative, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah, what have your experiences been like being an emerging filmmaker? Yeah, um, my experiences have been... Um, Pretty like. Uh, it's people been supportive. Yeah, a lot of people have been supportive, and there's been like um, potential for further opportunities. Mm. Uh, um, now that I've got this first short film under my belt, I think it's like, and then we we're in this. Um, we've been featured in this film festival, kind of. Um, 
that's really cool, like as a thing for my resume, and I've also been able to learn a lot as well. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like um, there's another fella that is going over there with us, and just like he's a filmmaker all the time, and it's, it's his second film that he's made. Mm. And um, this is the second film festival he's going to, and he said um, it's pretty huge as well. So, um, yeah. But um, I think as an emerging filmmaker, I'd like to become um, more of like a support and kind of um, facilitator for the next generation to want to get involved as well. So mm. that's kind of like where I want to be in the future is like mentoring the next generation of filmmakers. Yeah. Mm. And actually, can I just ask about the equipment that you used? Um, yes. Yeah, because I've just found that, like, in the like previously, um, the film industry requires a lot of technical equipment. Um, yeah. But I know now that you know people are using like phones and yeah. Can yeah. you just speak to that a bit? Because you know, if people are now able to use you know their phones to create. Um, short documentaries or, you know, cheaper cameras, then it means it's more accessible, especially for mob. Well, yeah, there's actually... I was watching a film, was it like last year, at the um, Melbourne International Film Festival, and there was mobs that were making sci-fi movies up in the Northern Territory using our phones, which yeah. is really cool. cool. Um, but, yeah, the equipment we used was just like one of the cameras by... Um, one of the filmmakers, uh, one of the the camera crew, um, it was like a, I think like a Nikon camera. Or, mm. But yeah, it, it wasn't like a proper, it, it just looked like one of those ones you take photos with. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, you can really get experimental and creative with the gear you use because yeah, there is no limits now and I think you just, if you do use your phone, you just have to pay like a, got like a bit of money just to make it so that it's like fits to the screen of, uh, yeah, a bit like of editing. Cinema. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. I just think that's fantastic. Um, that now film is a much more accessible industry for people to enter. And it means that yeah, there's really a greater yeah. diversity of the stories that can be told. And how incredible that you were saying. You know, you're using um, more of a, a photographic camera uh, to film your documentary, and now it's being um, played at Imagine Native, the film festival in Toronto. That's incredible. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, we, you know, we use, I guess because like the camera like really shows what we were trying to play as well. I mm. guess so. Like, um, it's really taking beautiful pictures of the landscape. But, um, yeah. You'll, if you want to watch it, you can. You'll find out. Yeah. Mm, I think it's on SBS at the moment. You can go and watch it for yes, listeners. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, thanks so much, Paul, for joining us here on 3CR. Um, and we did mention before that there is a crowd raiser, so definitely um, go and contribute so that Paul and Tarnine can get over to this festival in Toronto. Um, any last words, Paul? Yeah, I'd like to say thanks for. Um, having me on the show and um, I hope you have a good morning everyone that's listening
Uh, anytime. We'll love to have you back maybe at the end of the year or maybe early next Thank year you. um, when Sounds you're playing, good. you know, some DJ sets at festivals. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a few sets coming up in November as well, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. What a Molly. I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. QR Code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month. Or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR Code. And follow us on Facebook at QR Code 3CR. Funded by the City of Yarra. And just before, we were speaking with Paul Gorry about a documentary that he was a part of, Young Mob Questioning Treaty, and that's featuring at Imaginative, the film festival in Toronto. And now we're joined by Jonathan Holmesy, um, who has a piece in Emerge in Yarra called Thrice for the Third Culture Kid. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. Thank- I said welcome. It's my morning. I should have two <laughs> coffees. Hi. How are you going? Great. Thanks so much for joining us in the studio this morning. Of course. I was so excited to see Paul. You saw me. I opened the door. I was like, Paul. And I was like, oh, it was a phone interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a fangirl of his work. So. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a bit about this um, exploration of embodied artifacts? <laughs> yes. Um, it's a pretty audacious um, work. I am a contemporary dancer. Um, I come from a unique background. My mother's from Hong Kong. My father's from Syria. And I moved to America in the Reformation of 97 of Hong Kong. Insert all innuendo about Hong Kong here. We might go there if we feel like it. Um, and I'm always trying to explore this dichotomy between expressing my queerness and expressing my cultural identity and that kind of issues of the two. And to be honest, like I'm pretty whitewashed and I have no shame around that. I used to have shame around that. Um, mm-hmm. And now I'm just being accountable of that and how 
kind of me assimilating to the West has let me express my queerness mm. and that gratitude. So there's kind of a full circle in there. But the work is kind of a fun thing. I have to tell a little bit of a story. We love stories. Um, I used to work in the Australian Ballet Building. I had a dear friend of mine who was a professional medium. Mind you, I didn't know she was a medium. And my father passed away when I was 18. And she kept looking at me funny in the cafeteria. And I was like... I don't know you, and hi. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just washing dishes. Like, did I do something wrong? And she comes to me, and she tells me my father's full name, color of my school uniform. She just, as we say in the queer world, she just opened the library on me. She just listed all these things. And she's like, I'm a professional medium. Your dad keeps talking to me from down the hall, um, and I'm just trying to work. And she, she's like, I can't work until I talk to you because he just keeps talking to me. Um, fast forward about five years later, I find out she's a professional jazz singer. There was an EOI for Merging the Yara, and I said, Gala, this is the perfect time. We're going to do a psychic dance. So I'm just trying to do a purely improvised piece. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. I know as much as you do, which is super, <laughs> super exciting. Um, but also as a dancer who's such a Capricorn control freak, I have to really... <laughs> <laughs> but my Gemini moon makes me fun. I'm learning how to loosen. <laughs> um, and my Sag is in Venus, so I love commitment. Um, I don't know if that is the Sag and Venus thing, but people tell me that. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to actually purely have an improvised piece. So the psychic reading, which is sung to me in like a jazz blues style, um, I do the dance in real time. And it's about connecting to different ancestral lines in my body. Wow, incredible. And you did say before you came in that you were very sore. So you are practicing very your art. Very well, actually, I um, I have this I, I don't have any like proven facts and I'm not like a scientist, so please forgive me, but I am interested how we use the word trauma a lot in QPOC um, talk, so I'm, mm. but I'm going to use the word trauma for the sake of the conversation. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Trauma. Um, <laughs> um, uh, where we store trauma biologically in the body and mm. also physically. And every time I see my mom, God bless her soul, I my shoulder freezes. And I was like, oh, is she just really aggravating me? <laughs> or, But I'm like, actually, my grandmother had the same shoulder problem. My mom has the same shoulder problem, and so do I. And so I wonder, is it me? Is it them? Is it um, when I used to live in New Zealand? Is it like I only say in Tereo? Is it my fucka papa? Is it all the stuff that's in there? Um, and I don't know. So I'm kind of just like dancing the trauma out. There's air quotes um, for 3CR out there. But I'm actually <laughs> dancing with only three particular body parts, which Gala and I have assigned where she feels my family live um, in my body. So it's just funny because I'm dancing the spots where I'm sore. So I'll do the right shoulder for a while. And I'm like, okay, I got to switch because I'm just getting really tired, but it's good. I'm hoping to dance it out of me. So maybe Saturday morning, I'll feel like trauma free. A lola as if that would ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> Next on six Ed world. <laughs> and, um, you do have an extensive history of like hip hop dancing and just, yeah, choreography your own works but you've also done like ceramic sculpturing and other forms of art um so yeah can you speak a bit to that and how you came up with this concept um i think for me it's about what is the value of the work and what is the intention um particularly with that ceramics work um I was really interested. I didn't discover I was serial until after my father died. That's, that would be a whole nother segment. And I did like the DNA swab. 
And um, I decided to make Syrian-style ceramics because I wanted to have empathy for my culture being destroyed. So I had someone that was angling the audience smash my works with a hammer, and then I recorded them, and then I performed the piece. But like, I had to do the, the ceramics work to kind of have empathy. So I always use a particular medium so I can get a certain level of empathy. But for this one, since it's just about me... I just need to have just me. I need to have mm. no props. It needs to literally just be me and my body. And for someone, you can't see me right now. I dress like a Pokemon character. I love lots <laughs> of things. So to have only one thing is really confronting. And to also have it on just yourself. I think a lot of us as queer people of color, we want to put other people in the forefront mm. because there's a lot of unheard voices. So to use my time in a very polarizing world or just to have my voice and my body, I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think... When I've done a lots of different mediums from augmented reality. I made my own app last year. Um, I think it's just a lot of us artists, we just need to let go of what is our medium. Like, yes, I'm a dancer. It always starts with the body, but giving yourself free reign um, gives you more empowerment to how you want to kind of reclaim spaces or dismantle systems. Who doesn't love dismantling systems on Thursday mornings? <laughs> Good morning. We love it. We love it here at 3CR. <laughs> it's all we talk about on Thursday morning breakfast. Um, but, yeah, back to the body um, and also back to talking about trauma. Have you found that this has been a healing experience? And did you set out for this to yeah. So like it's that. yeah. It, it all started. I'm the I'm with Creative Victoria. There's a program called the Creators Fund, where a bunch of us get to go research, do intensive creative research. So I had the privilege of going back to Turtle Island, to Seattle, where my best friend lives, which I was super excited, and trained with a woman named Stephanie Skura, who believes in the intuitive body. Mm-hmm. So that's where kind of all the research came from about how how do I explain this? You know, when you're like. Going down the road, maybe riding your bike or on your walk, and you're like, oh, I'm going to turn left into the shop. There's this intuition thing, and I don't mm. want to make a whole meta-psychic thing. It's just about that one, I didn't want to snap because it would be too loud, that one gut feeling, going, what is that gut feeling? So all of the research actually has been going, how do I dance not from my thinking body, but from my intuitive body, that intuitive body that protects me, that intuitive body that goes, oh, they're really cute. Let me walk across the club at Haunch of Disco. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, am, what is that intuitive body? And that's pretty much all the research. But to let to shed all the thinking, you know, when you do a meditation tape and they say, imagine your thoughts like a cloud going in one ear and out the other. I'm trying to dance it, mm. um, which is definitely interesting because I definitely think a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually now joined on the line, we have Pookie, um, who is also performing at Emerging Yarra. Um, and so welcome, Pookie. Oh, hello. hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, and so we actually have Jonathan Holmesy also in the studio who um, has a more like a like dance kind of performance. Um, but you're a hip hop artist. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit more about your work? Um, I, I create, I think the base of my music is hip hop, but I think um, I do incorporate a lot of um, other genres. I feel like I do try to not. Um, limit myself to that, um, I guess, that, that box. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a producer. I produce my, my own beats. I, I do I do write all my, all my music. And um, as of this year, I, I have had a really cool opportunity to be able to have all that stuff written live by a band and be able to perform that. Yeah, incredible. Um, and yeah, you did mention that yeah, you're like you're you're a producer. You're creating your own beats. 
you rap and you also sing. Um, and when I was listening to your tracks that are on SoundCloud, um, there was just such diversity in the music that you're making. Um, and yep. so are you still, as an emerging artist, are you still trying to find um, exactly where you'll head with your music or can we just expect more of the same? Um, I think I'm, I've gotten closer to, yeah, finding my own sound this year. Um, but I feel like I'm just, I'm going to always be evolving, mm. um, regardless anyway. So I think, um, I can't really, I find, I feel like I quite, I, I, I do feel like I have my sound right now, but I also don't, I can't guarantee that that's what my music's going to sound like in five years or in 10 years or, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, and what have you been enjoying most about making music? Has it been the producing? Has it been uh, writing your own rap? Um, ooh, that's a great question. Also, you have a band as well, um, so working with a band? Yeah, I think um, performing with my band has been like a really great form of release for me this year, especially um, as busy as it has been. So I think, yeah, I'd probably say, um, yeah, just the, the whole live band um, aspect of, of things has been quite, like, yeah, interesting for me. Mm. And similar to Jonathan, you've also worked in other artistic mediums um, and you used to be a painter. So what drew mm-hmm. you to music? Um, I've always, I guess, been music, been into music from, from a really young age. I remember um, back when we lived in Kenya, my brother, um, who was much older than me, he, he was very, very into music and he'd like bring in like huge um sound systems i don't even know where he got them from and he just like put them in the middle of the compound and just play music and like people would just come around and hang out and dance and like i I remember that's like when i when i first heard my favorite songs and i think yeah for for a very long time i've always loved music i just i think until maybe three years ago i always thought of my role in music as as a listener Mm. um but yeah i've always been quite like intrigued by by the idea of all music, yeah. Yeah, incredible. And I just want to ask um, yourself and also Jonathan what it's like um, being a part of these festivals such as Emerge in Yarra, which are um, trying to promote emerging artists. I think the main thing I'm really interested in this festival in particular, and Puki, you can join me in too. Nice to phone meet you <laughs> um, is the ticket to solidarity which is what I'm really excited about this festival um, if you come from a marginalized community from culturally linguistically diverse um, to identify with disability or from the queer community your ticket is free and then an ally is $10 and I think that's something that's really exciting for us as artists um, not necessarily the emerging artist bit but emerging systems dismantling mm. and actually us being a part of that and Andy Butler has done a great job curating all of us together we're all from a unique intersectionality sharing migrant stories but also we just want to have a fun time and just provide some light and shade in a polarizing world mm. and your thoughts Pookie? Um, I, I, I've been lucky enough to I guess um, have relationships with basically everyone on that, that bill um, whether it's from this year or from last year or even beyond that. And I think, um, yeah, what's really exciting to me is to actually see um, a show that's curated for, for this purpose, as Jonathan was saying, um, that's really going to push us towards a better future, but also it's still very like curated to make sure that things are 
um, like it's good music that's going to be provided and it's not just um, box ticking because that's something, something I've seen a lot of this year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's really cool that, like, um, the, the the art is is, is um, deemed as important here, but also so is, like, the agenda and where what, what we're going to get out of it. Mm. And Boogie, you said something really good about that. It's um, so, Veronica, who's the CEO of Multicultural Arts, says that it's one is tokenism, two is symbolism, three is solidarity. And you really see that it's not just box ticking. There is a variety of us for different diasporas, but, but we don't feel yeah. exotified, which is really awesome, especially yeah. in a funded environment. Like we're just being us, not being our intersectionality is the one being programmed. It's just our talent. And we just happen to have a culture intersectionality. And that's sick. And that's the future. Yeah. And that's now. And so please come <laughs> this Friday and Saturday. Pookie's on Saturday. No, and I'm I on really Friday. <laughs> so I'm always selling us Pookie. I'm so American. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, anything else that you wanted to tell listeners, Pookie? Do you have anything um, on the horizon? Any gigs coming up? Um, yeah, quite quite a few um, this this year actually. I think um, we we as a band are are going to be participating in Melbourne Music Week. Um, we'll be supporting Billy Davis um, with a, a show put on by the Operatives, so that's really exciting. Looking forward to that. And Strawberry Fields, that's like um, yeah, a really cool achievement that we're excited to to be a part of as well. And a few other, um, yeah, down the road, but you'll definitely be seeing a lot of me next year. I think um, I think one of the main things that I need, do need to take into action right, right now is in music. And I think one thing I want a lot of people to know is to um, start prioritizing yourself. It's very easy to, like, get lost in making sure all of this is happening and, like, um, letting your health slip or, you know, your mental health slip and all that kind of stuff. So just make sure you're making time for all that kind of stuff as well um, as you are achieving your dreams. Thank you for that. And, Jonathan, do you have any other exhibitions or works coming up? Um, I do. I've actually been working on a podcast, which I'm super excited about, and it's about you can actually dance at home. So it's kind of like a mindfulness tape meets, like, ASMR. <laughs> so it's definitely <laughs> a new movement for me. It's called Body Breeze, Space for the Mind, Air for the Body, and it drops on iTunes the 5th of December. And I'm also part of Generations as part of oh, Multicultural Arts right. Victoria, which is on the 26th, um, and it's reconnecting to my late father. He was a suit maker, um, so I get to wear a lot of high heels and wear his suit jackets he's probably rolling around in his grave but i <laughs> promise i dry clean them dead <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah thank you hookie and also jonathan for joining us in the studio hookie for joining us online and now i really want to play a track um so maybe let's head to yz by hookie thank you thank you so much you won't be here causing drama. Seems like you ain't learn a single thing from your mama. That her and that that got but up on you was your karma. Can be leaving stress around these best stress women. But your fist always knuckled up in a bun. Ain't got no real reason. You just do this for fun. Leading them like you do the you the son of a nun. Leave that mess there. Yeah, you. How you gonna act like you still an embryo? Your vibe stay giving us that mean where to go. That's why I'm sitting here rhyming up a radio. So we can buff you on the damn. And every time attention decreases, I see your will to be rowdy, just in Jesus. Said I'm a whole motherfucking act of Jesus. Who you really think you are? You ain't Jesus. The real OG you when it comes Jesus. to this. Can't be having you, you around. You ain't a chiller. Can't even find another. You're baptized a clown. You really thought you was the pillar in the villa.
Why you, why you, why you, why you, why you up in here causing drama? Seems like you ain't every single thing from your mama. That her and that that got but up on you was your karma. Can me leaving stress around? Is that stress? Why you up in here causing drama? Seems like you ain't every single thing from your mama. That her and that that got but up on you was your karma. Can me leaving stress around? Is that stress? You ever seen anybody just keep on lacking? On a time there was a boy named Like the body I make it up till the sun came Gotta get all of the honeys that he laid eyes on And we all agree he's a straight fly Once upon a time there was a boy named Like the body I make it up till the sun came Gotta get all of the honeys that he laid eyes on And we all agree he's a straight fly Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. The Kevin Hines Grow 40th Anniversary Spring Festival will be held on Saturday the 19th of October, 9am to 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster. Come along and stock up on a huge variety of tomatoes and vegetable seedlings, fruit trees, perennials and more at our community nursery. A 3CR supporter. And just before, we were talking with Pookie and Jonathan, who were both performing in Emerge in Yarra. We also played a track by Pookie, YZ. And now on the line, we're speaking with Andy Payne about the new proposed laws in Queensland that are set to outlaw the lock-on device, which um, most listeners will probably know is prominently used in environmental protests. Welcome, Andy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> So can you um, start by telling us a bit about this um, proposed bill and also why, um, at this point in time, the Queensland government is actually set to outlaw these devices? What's been happening in um, Mingin, Brisbane, and then also up in North Queensland? Yeah, well, in Queensland, over the last five years, there's been a lot of resistance to the proposed Adani mine, um, which many of your listeners would have heard of, and... Um, which is, yeah, going to be one of the biggest coal mines in the world if built and would open up a whole new coal basin. And so for that reason, uh, Queensland, which is not traditionally one of the most radical states, I guess, has been kind of the the base for a lot of climate activism. And so we've seen a lot of civil disobedience actions up here um, in central Queensland, near where the Adani mine would be built, and also in uh, in Brisbane, in more recent times, the Extinction Rebellion, and so it's become a big political issue. Um, there's a lot of pressure on the Labor government, and one response to this was the Labor government uh, proposing laws, which they're trying to rush through Parliament currently, 
that would outlaw lock-on devices. They would give police new powers to search and confiscate property, and they would also make the use of a lock-on device punishable by uh, two years in prison and the possession of one punishable by up to one year in prison. Yeah, wow. And I know that Anastasia Palaget, um, who's the Premier of Queensland, said that um, you know these devices are laced with false traps. Um, <laughs> um, and so what else is being spoken about up there by um, the mainstream media and politicians? Yeah, that's right. For a Labor government to bring in anti-protest laws uh, is quite difficult given the you know, there are still some radical elements within the Labor Party who support people's right to protest. And, of course, the, a lot of the mythology of the Labor Party comes from this idea of protest, especially in Queensland, which year at a strike and these illegal protests. And so to, to justify these laws, which are really about uh, doubling up on protests for... on punishments for protest actions which are already illegal, if you do a civil disobedience action already charged, and... This is bringing in a, an unnecessary law just to make the punishments higher. But to justify it, Anastasia Palaszczuk said that she'd seen evidence of lock-on devices laced with dangerous traps intended to injure police officers. Now, she's been pressed a number of times now for evidence of this and hasn't produced anything. And last Friday in the committee hearing um, of, about these laws, which had been rushed forward to fast-track the laws. The police witness was asked if they had ev- any evidence of suggested gas canisters planted inside to explode, and he could offer up one anecdote from 2005 and didn't even have any evidence to back that up. And, of course, in the last 14 years, there have been hundreds of uh, lock-on actions, and in all of them, there was never one piece of evidence offered to support the Premier's claim. So they're saying that there was a gas canister in the lock-on that then would explode and therefore hurt the person that was locked on as well? Uh, yeah, well, this is the part of the logical fallacy of um, Anastasia Palaszczuk's claim is that she says that um, <clears throat> these things are laced with traps intended to injure the police officer, but of course the reality is that it's the protesters themselves who lock themselves to these things and no police officer gets locked to them. Um, it just doesn't make any sense, the idea that you're planting explosives in something that you're then willing, willingly locking yourself to. And, um, of course, anybody who has any experience with these knows that they're a part of non-violent protest techniques. But uh, the Premier, of course, by making sensational claims, can exploit the fact that most of the media has no interest in hearing about non-violent protests. They just want... Um, gory stories of violence, even if they're made up. Mm. And how can um, listeners support the campaign to stop this bill from going ahead? Yeah, the government is proposing to fast-track the bill. Um, Normally it would take a long time, even in Queensland, which only has one House of Parliament, there'd be a a long process of uh, accepting submissions. But the Premier has insisted that this all be fast-tracked, and so this law actually could be in place by the beginning of next month um, here. And so we're running low on time. We were yesterday protesting outside the office of Julianne Gilbert, the Labor MP for Mackay. Unfortunately, she responded with a statement saying she intended to support the laws. But I think it would be great if there was a lot of pressure from around the country on uh, the Labor Party, Queensland Labor Party and elsewhere, saying that this is 
unacceptable um, and a betrayal of people's uh, democratic rights to protest, not only a, a tokenistic right to free speech, but the right to actually use effective protest techniques as historically proven. And lock-ons have been part of Australian environmental movement successful campaigns for years. And um, so I guess that's pressure on the Labor Party. But outside that, we're facing a climate emergency and uh, government is unwilling or unable to resolve it. And so we need people taking action, taking brave and creative action. If that means uh, taking lock-ons to save our planet, then I encourage people to get out there and do that. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andy, for um, updating us about these proposed laws in Queensland. Thank you. And that there was Andy Payne, who was um, yeah talking to us about the proposed laws in Queensland that are set to outlaw lock-on devices, which are prominently used in environmental protests. Um, and I think that's it for this show. Um, what a great show, Grace. Yeah, that was really that was really interesting and amazing. And, <laughs> yeah, feeling really excited to go on with the rest of the day now. <laughs> so um, yeah, up first. Um, we had David Budden, who is doing the first ever case against a super fund for not taking climate change risk into account in their decisions. And then we spoke with Anne-Marie Tafu, who is one of the editors of Solid Air, and she'll be speaking next Wednesday, the 23rd of October, at the Wheeler Centre. Then we spoke, spoke to Paul Gorey, um, who has created a documentary, Young Mob Questioning Treaty, and that is going to be featuring in Imagine Native, the film festival in Toronto. And then we had Jonathan in the studio and Pookie on the line talking about uh, their performances this weekend at Emerge in Yarra. And then lastly, we had Andy Payne who was talking about the new um, lock-on laws that they're trying to get through Parliament in Queensland at the moment. Um, that's all we have time for. Lost in Science is up next. See you next week.